Now entering Nerdist.com. Newsflash, newsflash, coming from the curtain ear from the Thrilling Adventure Hour. It's me, Todd Cooper. I have things to tell you. Thrilling Adventure Hour, Storm Chicago once again. They already did it once, and now they're coming back. April 24th through 26th for C2E2. That sounds like a weird Star Wars creature, but it isn't. Find the Works Use players and special guests on the show floor in booth 993. That's 993. All weekend long for signings, appearances, and merch. But even if you're not attending C2E2, be sure to grab tickets for three different live performances, all at First Ward at the Chop Shop in Wicker Park. Here's some things you can look forward to there. Friday, 424, April 24th, the Thrilling Adventure Hour presents the Work Juice Improv Experience. Join the Work Juice players and special guests, Scott Adsit, Timothy Amundsen, and John Ross Bowie for a night of improv as they create an entire show on the spot. That's what improv is. Curtain is at 10 p.m. Oh, that curtain. Saturday, 425, April 25th, the Thrilling Adventure Hour presents POW! Sparks Nevada Live. Join Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Agliardi, and members of the Work Juice Players and special guests for a first-time-ever live show based on the first four issues of the new Sparks Nevada Image comic. Shows are at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock p.m. Come on, don't get up early for a show, dummy. And different scripts for each. That means you can see two different shows. Visit thrillingadventurehour.com for tickets and for detailed appearance info. What are you, a hashtag guy? You can do that on Twitter or wherever you like. Use hashtag T-A-H-C-2-E-2. Crikey. That's what I'd be saying to you if I was Australian or New Zealand. But I'm not. I'm here to let you know about a little trip that's coming up. The Thrilling Adventure Hour is heading down under. Where? Down under. Australia and New Zealand, just like I just said. In May and 2015 for the first international tour ever. Yeah, you heard me right. International tour, everybody. There are five. That's five the number. Not five someone's name that you know, maybe. Live Thrilling Adventure Hour shows in Auckland and Wellington, New Zealand, and Sydney, Australia. We've even added two special Work Juice Improv shows in Auckland. That's extra if you're in Auckland. The cast includes almost all the Work Juice players, including, of course, Paget Brewster, Paul F. Tompkins, Mark Evan Jackson, Autumn Reeser, as just a few of those. Also, uh, the creators, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, are going to be there. Andy Paley and members of the Andy Paley Orchestra. And... Special guests Molly Quinn and Jenny Wade. Woo! Are you in Australia or New Zealand? Are you not there, but you would go to there? Do you like it there? Where do you, where do you like to be? If you want to go to Down Under, well, just go to thrillingadventurehour.com slash Down Under. If you want to talk about it on Twitter or other places that you talk about things with a hashtag, use the hashtag T-A-H Down Under. That's it for me. Now here's the show. Audio curtains up. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Hey everyone, this is Ben Blecker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I myself am a television writer, having written for such shows as Supernatural, Nickelodeon, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently working for the DreamWorks program Puss in Boots, which is available right now via Netflix. Uh, check it out. It's pretty fun. I am also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage show in the style of old-time radio uh, that is available as a podcast here on the Nerdist Network. For information about the Thrilling Adventure Hour, go to thrillingadventurehour.com. So you worked on Kung Fu Panda for a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, but And I, wanted to, I specifically wanted to ask about this, because it seems like, from what I have heard, uh, it was not a... 
bad experience there. Like that was a well, it was a pretty good show. I mean, I was on it for so such a short amount of time. I mean, who? I mean, right. but they had a great writing staff. I mean, it was like. Yeah. I mean, it was Doug, and then uh, it's got Kevin Sesha and this other. Um, oh, Kevin's hilarious! I mean, he's so freaking funny. Yeah. And then it was run by um, uh, God. Why can't I think of Peter Hastings? Oh, who's sure, awesome. And then, he's an old animation guy. Yeah, he's yeah, no, it was really he's great. Animaniacs and stuff. Yeah, no, it was uh, that. Was, I, but I think that show came out really funny. I mean, I, I I sort of felt bad because I literally was like, they're like, hey, can you come on the show? And I was like. I'm not sure the show I'm on might be coming back for a second season, mm-hmm. in which case I was contractually obligated to right. uh, go back to it. And they're like, just come anyway. And, and I did. And then, like, literally, we were ramping up, just coming up with, like, premises. Hadn't even written anything. And then I was like, I got to go. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's an interesting thing. And you've been a part of this a number of times, it sounds like, where, like, a company or a network owns this property and they yes. want to turn a film into a TV show. But then there's this process of figuring out what the TV show of that film would be. Yes. Uh, so what has been your experience in that, where it's worked? Uh, usually the times <laughs> that it works the best are not the times where it starts with, hey, we have this idea. We don't have an idea, but we want a show. We have you a know? title. We have right. a title. In fact, I've discovered a lot of that on, because uh, now I've transitioned to movies the yeah. last number of years, and I, I've realized that almost every pitch not pitch, almost every meeting I go out to uh, and then they they say, are you interested in this idea? Like, they're all just, like, something that they own that is a property that has no, like, there's no story attached to it yeah. or there's no anything, and maybe it's uh, the Lego effect or the, you know, whatever. But, like, I get, like, I went on one, a few, I don't want to name the studio or the property, but it was, like, it was a big studio. They were very excited to call me in. I had to sign an NDA. They had all this artwork. They're always very excited. Yeah, literally, <laughs> they're like the president of the studio. He wants to fast track this. This is a huge, huge thing for us. And they had a noun. Like literally, I can't say what the noun mm-hmm. is, but it was a one-word thing. I would watch the Slinky movie. Yeah, but it was, <laughs> but it wasn't even like Slinky. At least has. Like there's a uh, nostalgia, the or nostalgia something. yeah, it has yeah. a retro like <laughs> fun to it. Like it's a, it's a, something that people have heard of. Gek, this was literally not even that. It was like it was um, a type of machine without getting too specific. That they're like they're like, and I was like, do you want it to be them to be sentient or do you want <laughs> people to interact with them? And they're like, no, 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 they want them to be sentient, but not like cars. And I was like, but I don't know what oh, I don't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. So yeah, um, yeah, that was. You never know. I mean, it's all like... So, but when you're faced with something like that, is that just one of those gigs, one of those uh, jobs where you're like, I I don't have this. This is not for me. Yeah. Or do you actually sit and think about like... I give it... I always try to give it a day or... If I have the time. If Mm -hmm. I'm not like in the middle of a deadline or something, like I feel very um, like... I know I'm in a, a lucky position. I feel blessed to be in a position where uh, blessed sounded very religious. I don't feel, no, but, but uh, I feel, you're in it now. Yeah, so I, blessed. I, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, <laughs> for being in this position. No, I, I just I do I know that I'm in a lucky position where I'm being asked to think about these ideas. Sure. So I always try to give it some thought, and then sometimes it can lead to something amazing. Uh, but more often than not, I'm just like I I don't know what this is, and I, I have to politely say um, I know somebody else is going to make this amazing and turn it into I'm an Oscar winning thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't sense. have it. So. Uh, that's Adam Papa, you guys. Uh, this is Mark Miller. Hello. Hi. 
what what the hell do you do? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm gonna go. <laughs> no, you bring, you bring up a good point. I looked up uh, everything you've done, and it's a whole bunch of different things. I do I do many different things. What, what is your day job? Uh, my and day job is on uh, running Clive Barker's company. Yes. Uh, I'm vice president of Seraphim Inc. And uh, we make books and uh, movies and TV shows and comic books and and. Uh, and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and uh, I'm here on the writer's panel because I write some of those books yes. and comic books. And uh, right now, our ongoing series is Hellraiser Bestiary uh, through Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've done a couple of different things through them. Next Testament and uh, Nightbreed right now with Mark Andreco and, and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, I'm hearing great things about that Nightbreed uh, I'm a fan. I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Nightbreed. Um, and I mean, it's interesting to me uh, to get this opportunity to talk to you because, like, yeah, yes, you are a writer. You do write these comics and some other things, um, but you're also sort of this macro writer on these things, right. where you're saying, how can we use what Clive has done? Yes, uh, and tell new stories. With yeah, him. yeah. It's finding um, all sorts of things in the in the Clive Barker oeuvre to to play with. Yeah. So so. What is the process for that? Like finding not just a property that you like, but that you think would there's more to that story to tell. Uh, it's I don't know. It's there isn't really much of a process. It's it's um, sifting through the mountains of, uh, of 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 stuff that Clive has created, mm-hmm. and and just it, it's sort of how a lot of things in the industry are right right time right place. Uh, it's no, having having this sort of uh, idea of everything Clive's ever done, and I've been I've been with the company since 2008, and I've been reading wow. Clive work consistently since then, and I'm still not caught up. <laughs> so it's having all of that information in my mind and being ready to to come at uh, someone with something when they say we're looking for this hmm. or you know some something to that effect. So when uh, when boom. Studios came to us. You know, we'd already been working on Hellraiser, and we did this thing called Next Testament, and uh, and they said we're looking for a new uh, something something new to to to, to launch with. Uh, we had at that time we had just announced that we found the lost footage for Clive's film Nightbreed, and we were editing that at the time, and, and we thought it would be a good sort of uh, hmm. you know bit of synergy to sure. to relaunch the mythos with the comic book uh, at the same time that the that the film came out, and so. We managed to make that work, and yeah, that it's, makes sense. yeah, it's just you know whatever whatever the uh, the right time and the right place is. Uh, so, we, you, do you serve primarily as like an exe- in an executive capacity, or as a writer, or both? And it's it's you, both. It's both. equal measures. How do you, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to take over the podcast. Please, <laughs> please, please um, what are you watching? No, um, oh, it's such a good question. Uh, you know, you ask that, and we end the podcast. No, so, I know right? that was a, that was what I was. Talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, so the podcast is over. I'm good to beat traffic. <laughs> all right, all right. What do you watch? No, yeah, yeah, um, we're getting no, there. But as a uh, executive and a writer, like, do you ever find a conflict of interest? Like, oh, I really want to write this one myself, or like, you know, or you're working with another writer and you want to include your own ideas. Yeah, or... absolutely. There's, uh, there, there is, there, there. It's, it is tough to find that balance. And there are also things that I want to. Uh, I mean, for for those that are familiar with Clive's work, I'm sure they know that sometimes he veers toward the extreme. There are certain, there are some stories he's written, some things that he's come up with that are really uh, speak to me. They're right up my alley. I, I'm I'm the kind of guy that like can't get enough of the Human Centipede and, and movies like that. 
<laughs> right as everyone grimaces. Uh, and so there are stories uh, in, in the oeuvre that, uh, uh, that go so much further than those. And I desperately want to make those movies and comics. I cannot imagine what further than yeah. that. <laughs> further up? <laughs> in which direction? Yeah. What do you mean further? Please do not name a direction. <laughs> <laughs> further in, you guys. Come on. And it is, uh, it's not, you know, as the, as the sort of, uh, as, as the guy looking out for the, for the brand mm-hmm. uh, as a whole, uh, I know that I, you know, I have, to, I have to put that on the shelf. I have sure. to say, okay, that's, not, that's probably not going to, you know, uh, make us any money. That's, that's not going to get us any more fans. That might actually scare a few people away. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to it later, maybe. Uh, right now, let's focus on something mm-hmm. something that's going to please a few more people. Sure. That, yeah. that fluffy a human butterfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, that, that's an, it's an interesting thing that you bring up uh, protecting the brand, and this is something I actually want to talk to you about as well, Adam. Yeah. Um, because as as an animation guy, mm-hmm. you are an animation guy. Like you find yourself branded in that way. Yeah. Um, so what what I want to start with is kind of let's talk about the past to how you guys got where you are. Sure. Uh, and then I, what I'd like to do is kind of open it up to, like, how do I take care of that brand? Or how do I break out of that brand? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Both good questions. Um, but, yeah, starting, I mean, you want me to tell, like, how I got. So, I mean, I, um, I went to grad school for screenwriting, USC, and then, um, like, one of the very first scripts I wrote was like an animated movie, like a Toy Story type movie about mm-hmm. a sock that gets left behind at the laundromat and has to find its way home. Uh, you know, very of the time. At the time, it was sort of right in sort of the wheelhouse of those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sent it out to studio or to um, to agents, and every single one of them was like, "We do not know what to do with this because there was only Pixar making them and, and DreamWorks, sure. and, they, and they developed internally, and they're they're like, we don't know." Writers don't work on these. They just yeah. do. It's all magic. They do it all themselves <laughs> yes. there. Because this was, you know, back in the day where it wasn't. Every studio wasn't doing these, and so they told me to write a live action script. Uh, but that's interesting. Of, yeah. I mean, you're. And by the way, I'm going to interrupt you guys yeah, all yeah. the time because I want to get into specifics. But um, so I apologize in advance. But um, you know, you you wrote this thing right out of grad school. I was in grad school. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you're not necessarily looking for it to be made. You're no, looking was, for an agent. I would. Imagine. I was looking for an agent, and I was right. I wanted to write like Pixar style movies because I loved them. I mm-hmm. mean, it was like there weren't that many of them out yet. Yeah. And I was like, this is a new thing that I love. You know, I really thought these were perfect, um, and so that was my goal. And, uh, and then I quickly, I did not understand the business side of it that. Mm-hmm. Um, that those movies are developed internally, or at the time they were, or they—I don't even know if that was 100 percent true, but that's what the agents thought. Yeah, or certainly uh, that was the perception. And so uh, they told me to write a live-action script. I wrote a live-action feature, and um, an agent's assistant gave it to Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who at the time were just—I mean, they were only one year older than me. They were—they <laughs> they were just starting to. Um, staff up on a TV show that they had sold called Clone High, mm-hmm. and they read that script, and they were like, oh, this guy is funny, and he has a similar sensibility, and so they met with me, and uh, they had already staffed their show, but they gave me a shot as a writer's assistant, this was my very first oh, wow. gig. That's um, really cool. Yeah, so that was how I got my start, and it was on an animated show, yeah. so it was like this live-action <laughs> script uh, got me. But it was also, I mean, it wasn't a Pixar-type show. No, it was, yeah, it was... Uh, it was an like, adult animation. Yes. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, though. After sending out the animated uh, original feature and being told, 
write a live action thing. Mm-hmm. Was that a difficult adjustment? And and no, what was that? Live honestly, action? I didn't even it didn't even occur to me that the writing would be any different. Mm-hmm. Like because even when I write live action, it's always a little bit like I like to world create and I like to. Um, have it be a little winking and a little sort of like it's. I'm not. I'm never going to be the guy who's writing like Precious or something. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm going to write something that's kind of ridiculous or silly but smart at the same time, and you know, um, play with the form or whatever. All the things that animation kind of takes for granted, and you get to do in that. Like, even in the live action stuff, I feel like you can do the exact same. As Phil and Chris have since proven, yeah. like, you know, they can go from. Uh, Lego movie to 21 Jump Street mm-hmm. and without blinking an eye and they are written exactly the same way <laughs> and you know uh, like storyboard I mean like they, I mean they don't storyboard quite as uh, right. like much on the live action stuff but it's like it's all the same yeah it's, it's certainly the same the, yeah the kinds of beats and and the kind of comedy that's in there exactly yeah. it's all the same that's, thing that's so and, and and so working on um, Clone High with them really was like a whole nother um, like writing school I mean those guys sure. are. The best, still my favorite. I mean, like I felt like I knew ten years before the rest of the world <laughs> that like these guys yeah. are the best writers in Hollywood, and and now everyone else knows. It. Now they right. all know. Fine. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, but it was like for a long time it was like because I was the writer's assistant, and they eventually bumped me up to they gave me a script, but then our show was canceled. Uh, but I got my first you know writing credit, and it was produced, uh, and it got made. But it was. Um, you know, our show was canceled, but like that year of making that show was just hanging out late nights with them, yeah. like you know, uh, writing jokes and and they would storyboard stuff and I would scan it in and we would make the animatics. I mean, it was like literally oh, just like putting on a show, like yeah. um, and working crazy hours and and becoming good friends too at the same time. So that was my break in, and then um, so ever since then it was like after I had that first credit, it was a little easier and. I worked for years at Cartoon Network, um, sort of going through the ranks and eventually creating a show there. Um, that, again, was live action. It was like I worked on all these animated shows, and then they asked, like, can you – we want to compete with Disney and Nickelodeon. Can you write a live action show? Interesting. Um, and so a buddy of mine and I, uh, Tim McKeon, who's actually been on oh, this yeah. podcast, um, like – we created the show together that um, was terrible. <laughs> well, we, first we wrote a TV movie called Reanimated, which was like a right. Roger Rabbit style thing where this kid gets a um, an emergency brain transplant because his he needs a brain transplant, and the only brain available was the frozen brain of Walt Disney or like a Walt Disney parody. Right. Um, this guy Milt Appleday, who had you know was our stand-in for Walt. Nice. And so basically he could see all these cartoon characters now and he had his imagination. Uh, and so it was sort of like, you know, kid version of Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And uh, so we wrote that as a TV movie and then they asked us to spin it off into like a, a show. We did 20 episodes. It was, they changed the title and the tone and everything. It was called Out of Jimmy's Head. And it was right. not a, a, a... We learned a lot of valuable things on that. Can, <laughs> I'll put it that way. It was... Um, it was well, the first time they had ever, the network had ever done live action, so they were learning too, and we didn't oh, right. have any show running experience, so we were learning, um, and uh, it was... And that's, yeah, it that was, must have been insane. Like, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. Because we it's also a sort of ambitious idea for a show. It was super ambitious. We had two full crews. I mean, we had a live action crew shooting on the soundstage, and we had a whole animation crew at the studio doing all the animation, and we wow. would, and, and uh, you know writing staff and we're trying to run between everything and do all the voice recordings and it was just like we were um always behind and we did 20 episodes wow and, it sounds uh, like it was a blast though 
It was a, <laughs> and it was an amazing experience. Uh, I mean, looking back now, I'm so glad I had that opportunity. Yeah. Being so young that they put this faith in us because yeah. neither one of us had any experience other than working on other Cartoon Network shows, basically, and a few other shows here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was um, it was really crazy. So uh, what what did you take out of that as like the parts that you liked? You know, I mean, I I think I learned more like about. I wouldn't want to create a show again until I had, like, unless the studio and I were more on the same page of what we would want, and mm-hmm. um, and having a voice, somebody on running the show that is uh, trusted by mm-hmm. um, by the network, because we had a situation which was basically like we didn't know what they were doing, what we were doing, and they didn't. Um, necessarily trust us to, to execute that and sure. so it was just a, you know a kind of a clusterfuck a little bit but um, <laughs> and I feel like if I were to create a show again I would want it to be one it would be after like I've had enough success that a studio would be mm-hmm. like hey we trust whatever you're going to come up with, you know like we'll work together but you know we right. will um, we know you're going to make something good instead of questioning sure. every step of it um, uh, which you know, uh, or work with pair or pair with somebody that mm-hmm. has that experience and that uh, clout, so you can do that. You know, yeah. um, so I think that's what I I learned from that experience. Um, uh, and also, I learned that TV hours, especially live action TV, when you're doing a hybrid with live action animation, the hours are really really long. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Working in features now, it's like, oh, this is where you can make your own hours, and like, <laughs> right. and it's so nice. It's so it's so sunny over here, guys. <laughs> is I, I want to pick up there when we come back, but uh, Mark, tell us how you how you came to be where you are. Were you a uh, horror kid? Oh Were yeah, you absolutely. A movie guy couldn't get enough horror. Couldn't get enough gore. Uh, <laughs> I love that reaction every time. Uh, it, it just, I grew up, I had this, uh, this aunt who, uh, used to babysit me and we would ride our bikes, uh, to the video store and she was a horror fiend and, uh, she's the one that broke me of being scared of horror movies and awesome. she would just rent whatever How old are you? heinous, probably 10, okay. 11, I, def- I was picturing like a little four year old. No, no, <laughs> but I definitely saw films that I shouldn't have at that age. Well, I was like, going to ask that. Like, what were the gateways for uh, you? Eraserhead was a good <laughs> one. Nice. Definitely not ready at age 10. No. Um, the early Peter Jackson stuff, like Dead Alive, Bad Taste, uh, really, really fucked me up. <laughs> this is clearly formative. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, and uh, a, a really good one was Evil Dead, which mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw it being just absolutely horrified. Uh, and then, you know, upon subsequent viewings, just enjoying it more and more and more. But, uh, That's really funny. yeah, that was definitely, that was my, and I, I think even at like age eight or something, I saw From Beyond. I don't know if anyone's seen that. I, that this, rings a bell. What is it's that? It's the guy that made Reanimator, uh, and it's, it's this story, uh, based, like loosely based on this H.P. Lovecraft thing about this guy that opens up a portal to another dimension <laughs> and he gets sucked back in. And when he comes out, like this, this phallic worm comes out of his forehead. And it was just, <laughs> I, I remember it just doing strange, strange things to my psyche. It was. <laughs> It's this very, you know, overly sexualized, uh, just creepy monster movie, and uh, and it was it was awesome. And oh, I watch boy. it now, and it's you know, it's 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 just silly, right? But it's that's tame. A, yeah, yeah. But when you're when you're eight years old, it's absolutely that's way the hell out um, there. Man. And so so you were into this stuff. Were you a writer as a kid? 
or no, was it no. Uh, I actually wanted to be a performer as a kid. Really? Yeah, I wanted I wanted to be an actor, and uh, I I went down that path, and and uh, it was sort of later on. I mean, I, I I ended up doing a lot of modeling and stuff, and that's that's Ooh, la, la. that's how <laughs> so, like, like most like most writers, like most writers. <laughs> you know, we all model from time to time. Sure. Uh, to pay the bill. Right, right, of course. Um, so when, when did that start happening, and like when? How far down the path of acting did you go? Uh, I, I I I never really got anything. I did a lot of plays, uh, and I I I, uh, I just I, I don't think I had like the the I don't I didn't have the rejection in me, so I became a writer. So, <laughs> you chosen poorly. <laughs> you, how can I meet more girls? It's not working as an actor. I'm not spending enough time in my head. Uh, I, it, I, I, none of this makes any sense, but I just it, it, the more the more I watched, the more I realized it was I wanted to create, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I mean I was I was getting and, and and the modeling thing was treating me decently, so I I sort of I I was okay to keep doing that, mm-hmm. and uh, and at the same time try to try to further my writing career, and so I went to uh, Chapman and I uh, I I. I, I majored in uh film production and and took like uh staff writing classes and stuff like that and wow. and that's where I really like think I came into my own as a writer and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Interesting. And How, can tell me the the tenor of those classes. Like did they it seems like it was a very practical course. Yeah, yeah, it really was. My uh, I had this professor named uh, Jim Masak who uh who was a staff writer on I, I think it, it was it was a David Milt show. I don't think it was NYPD Blue, uh, but it was it was it was one of those around mm-hmm. that time. And he it was I mean it, it, we sat in a you know this this uh, round table and that's we great. all just threw out ideas. Treated and, it like yeah, it was, it was it was it wow, was a blast. Great, yeah. It was yeah it was amazing. It was one of my favorite classes by far. That's cool. Uh, at uh, at Chapman. So did you come out of that with? Did everyone come out with their own script? Yeah, the uh, the objective of that class was to come out with your own spec script, uh, and and that uh, the the teacher would then submit for you, and uh, and I I, oh, wow. I submitted a an Arrested Development spec script, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still very proud of it. It was <laughs> I, I think it, I think it was uh, pretty darn That's good. Great. But that'll really teach you the nuts and bolts of how to put a script together. Yeah, it was sure. it was very illuminating, and you know <laughs> he provided sample scripts and all sorts of things. Uh, mm-hmm. So you had all these tools to to teach you how to to you know to do it. Mm-hmm. I want to imagine that this class of uh, staff writing is like has all the like the actual staff writing issues where it's like there's like politics and there's like you get to show up a little late and then like an hour of talking about what's for lunch and right. you know. I'm just a, a, a consulting producer on this yeah, class yeah, yeah. so right. I'm not going to be the next three days you get an A right. you're, yeah. you're a professional all your already. ideas are gold <laughs> um so, so what happens after that? So you have a sample, and I imagine you're trying to write other things as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I, I have the sample. I'm sending that out. I'm writing other things. And where where did you see yourself going? Uh, I really, I, 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 I just wanted to. I really just wanted to write and direct independent horror films. That was that was interesting. Yeah, that's was that going on at the time? Who was doing that? 
Yeah, I think like Eli Roth had just hit at that time, uh, and he went off and shot Cabin Fever like right. on his own, and and through this grassroots thing, had got like blurbs from Peter Jackson mm-hmm. and all these people, and and that was that was that's still I think you know the 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 model to to, yeah. to follow uh, if you want to be an independent horror filmmaker, uh, and so that was that was the path, and um, I I got out of I graduated and was ha- was having no luck beating down doors hmm. and i i i just i en- i ended up getting a, a gig writing for oc weekly which mm-hmm. is la weekly's mm-hmm. sister yeah. paper uh and i was doing like op-ed pieces for the calendar section just mm-hmm. you know let writing. me let me just interrupt you for one second so after graduating mm-hmm. you know you've got your your sample your briefcase full of samples right right i've got um, my uh, resume what what were you doing to try to get representation to try to get Submitting Money, scripts, whatever it was. Uh, I was submitting scripts. I uh, I even wrote a novel. I was really? I was yeah. I was wow. submitting my novel to publishers mm-hmm. and across but just the cold board. Doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting just getting rejected. It was fantastic. <laughs> a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of crying. Major nervous breakdown. The usual. Psychic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All that fun stuff. Right. <laughs> okay. So you're you're working for the OC Weekly. I start working for the OC Weekly. Uh, still managing to get modeling work. and i find out that uh that clive barker i get wind that he's doing this exhibition of uh of living canvases he's creating monsters with paint and uh i as a as a huge fan i i i say you know that i don't care if it pays nothing that's what I, I, I want to be. Who doesn't want to be a Clyde Barker monster? Yeah, Maybe this, no one in here wants to be a Clyde Barker monster. Horror right. and <laughs> modeling. <laughs> Play your strengths. Yeah. Right? Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses. Uh, and so I, I put myself in that camp, and I, uh, and I managed to get into his, his book of modeling. It was called Imagining Man. Uh-huh. And we did this thing where he, uh, I met him, and, and we hit it off, and we just discussed concepts. And, uh, and it was insane just to immediately like connect with this this prolific guy on you know these uh deviant ideas <laughs> it was fantastic <laughs> and uh, what we ended up doing is this thing where he uh he painted like a, a rib cage on my back so that it looked like and it was all practical and just with mm-hmm. with uh, oil paint but it looked mm-hmm. like uh my i had been skinned alive uh, and it was, and he he photographed it in this low light, and uh, mm-hmm. and I made it into this uh, art book, and it was it was just really it was the coolest experience. <laughs> but we hit it off so well that he asked, he kept asking me to come back, and <laughs> he knew that I was writing for OC Weekly, and there was even someone like a local theater company had done a a version of one of his plays uh, at a local playhouse. And I wrote a review of it, and, and he really liked it, and so he so has a conflict of interest to me. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, that's that's how you move up. Yeah, this is why he, he befriended you. He wanted a positive review. Uh, In the OC Weekly, yeah. you know what? I <laughs> never make really it thought break of it. OC Weekly. Holy shit! I've been used, guys. I didn't even know. I think you'll be all right. And this is how he makes. <laughs> um, this is why he makes you the vice president of his company. Right. Uh, but yeah, we hit it off. He asked me to come intern for him, and I started out just by like typing uh, his because he's still writing. It's everything by hand. Wow. I just started typing pages, and then he knows alternatives are available. Right? He does, he does, <laughs> but they do not interest him. And sure. uh, and and I just it got you a job. He got me a yeah. job. Don't yeah. fight it. Yeah, exactly. And I stuck around long enough, and uh, you know, until people kept leaving, and I just kept moving up. And oh wow! And here we are. So uh, 
you know, tale as old as time. The interesting, yeah. I don't know, the, the, one of the interesting questions to me is, you know, you m- clearly were a huge fan of this guy. Yes. Um, so how do you go from being a fan to a peer, you know, someone that right. he can trust? That's a great question. You know, to, as you say, manage. Because there is a delicate dance. You can be Absolutely. too much of a fan. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's true. But it is, um, the, the, uh, I listen, I, I, I listen to and read a lot of, uh, autobiographies. And mm-hmm. one of the best ones, one of the best lines that's sort of become my mantra over the years is from Keith Richards' uh, autobiography, which is, uh, yes, you're with the man, but now it's time to be a man. And it's, it's just, yeah. it's about, you know, putting the fandom aside and just treating him, you know, like, like a creative human being mm-hmm. and, uh, not, not geeking out, not, not being awkward and just, you know, actually listening, being in the moment. I mm-hmm. think if that's what you do, then, you know, you shouldn't have any problems, yeah. uh, putting the fandom aside. I think, I think that's great. And I think that's great advice even for like, I mean, you must know having pitched TV and sure, you get in a room like, and it's nerve wracking yeah. as hell. Yeah. How do people act when they're around me? I'm the, they're right? all huge fans of me. <laughs> I mean, so. right now I'm playing it so cool. Yeah, I know. You're doing a good job. <laughs> pretending like you've never heard of me. <laughs> oh, thank God. No, no, I agree. It's, yeah, I think you, yeah, you, that's what all you can, all you can do is just, uh, just be a professional. Yeah. I think you missed my segue to talk about pitching. <laughs> talk about pitching. Oh, Jesus. Um, what, what's the question, Ben? Um, I'm actually kind of curious about how you got, you transitioned from TV to features. Yeah, no, that's a good Because um, features question. to me seem like as much as you can make your own hours, yeah. it also seems like it takes forever. You are pitching on projects. I mean, yeah. very rarely are you bringing you your don't, own projects. You don't go in. into animated movies if you want something that's going to be made right away. I'll tell <laughs> yeah. you that right. Like, at, at, well, like, like for uh, example, speaking of fast tracking, yeah, something takes four seconds for them. To, like they animate four seconds a week at, at yeah. like that. But, uh, but just yeah, by way so, of example, this is just a yeah. quick a sidebar here. How long did was the process for box trolls. I mean, it took like eight or nine years to get made. Um, I only worked on it for like the last three years. Good Lord. Uh, Guess what? That's still a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's super, super long. But no, so to answer your question, um, I had worked in TV for like almost a decade and I was kind of just burnt out on it. And so I was, I, I sort of made a choice where I was like, I want to be a feature writer and I'm going to say no to... Um, you know, staffing opportunities mm-hmm. and um, just spend some time and write a spec. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did that and uh, actually wrote my first spec between two seasons on a show and then it got me some meetings, but it wasn't really hitting yet. Mm-hmm. And then um, so I was just saying no to a lot of sort of, um, you know, kid shows basically, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I was being offered. Um, and then I got offered that one we were talking about earlier, Monsters vs. Aliens, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I when my manager called and asked if I was interested, I said, no, like I said, you know, that that's, I'm not taking those anymore. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, this is the one you do take because DreamWorks doesn't have a TV division at the time. They didn't Now they do. And it's brand new. Yeah. Um, And so it's the feature executives, the feature development executives who you're going to be working with to develop this uh, TV pilot. And they're going to work with you and they're going to fall in love with you. And they're going to ask you if you have any movie ideas. And it was great advice because I went in and I worked on that pilot and um, the movie came out and then the pilot sat there on a shelf. (laughs) Um, But it was well written and uh, they loved working with me. And they said, do you have any movie ideas? And then 
I pitched them an idea and they bought it. And it was like my first feature sale. Uh, and so then I wrote that thing for DreamWorks Animation. Didn't get made, but it what was... What was it? Can you talk about it? I can't say what it is because they, they have a... Sure. Um, a, can you talk around it a little bit? Like, sure, I'm, curious, yeah. I'm always curious about the ones that get away. It was a big... Like, um, what, what conspires to sink a big movie? Well, it was a movie that had... Um, it was a big fantasy world movie, but the conceit of it, it... It had a big theme of a hot button issue in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Dragons. And it was, yes. <laughs> yes, it was... Uh, Very controversial. Like we are dragons and, and pandas that fight uh, <laughs> right. with martial arts. Um, no, it was a... Um, a big animated abortion movie. Yes. I mean, it wasn't that, but say it was that. It was something that was... Right. I mean, it's like a... It's just an issue that... Um, I can, I'll say it was uh, about... I can't even say what it. Right. Like, but do you it was, have Do you have one more joke you want to pitch on? Yeah, no, I, I was going to say spousal abuse. That's yeah, yeah. always funny. <clears throat> sure. So it just dealt, it dealt with the big theme, and they were um, worried that even though we were coming down on a very positive side of this of this mm-hmm. theme, that um, you know sure. half the country might be offended, right. um, which they might very well have been. So, uh, but it was well written, and it was. Um, uh, I mean. It gave me a great opportunity to have now a, a sale under my belt. Sure. So that was huge for me. How, the, how long did the process go on? Like, what was the... It was deve- a really long time. Was it, what was the development process like? Um, it was about six months before they... Um, before I even pitched it to Jeffrey Katzenberg. I mean, it was like working with a development executive, um, just, you know, a meeting every month or so, just fleshing it out a little bit more. At one point, like, let's change the protagonist to this other species of, of animal wow. or creature or whatever. Yeah. And we did all these huge overhaul changes <clears throat> and every time it would just throw it on his head and like change the villains, you know, and then finally we pushed it to Jeffrey and, um, the studio bought it, which is awesome. And then it was like another six months of outlines before they let me go to script. So I worked on wow. it for over a year but, before I got to write a page of script. That first six months, you hadn't even sold the project. No, so at I was not getting paid. You were just developing it. Yeah, which them? now I wouldn't. I don't know if I would go through that, but it was. You know, I was yeah. trying to get yeah, feature sure. work, and it was a huge opportunity. So, um, and they clearly were invested. to yes. keep working on it. Yeah, yeah, and they thought it was a big idea, and they were. Yeah. You know, um, but I think they also knew that I didn't have uh, a feature career yet, so they could sort of <laughs> they could take advantage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if they thought of it as taking advantage as so much yeah. as like pushing to the limit of what they could ask for, you mm-hmm. know. And it was they asked for like backgrounds on each of the characters, and they were asking for like I mean all sorts of yeah. like doc extra documents. And then mm-hmm. when we finally pitched it, I mean, it was this huge dog and pony show where we had mm-hmm. set up the entire pitch room with, like, all these toys from this world. And so when Jeffrey walked into the room, he was like, I get the idea. This is a huge idea. <laughs> and then I pitched the story, and it was sort of secondary to the big sure. idea of the world. And so he bought it, and then I wrote it, and, and it's sitting on a shelf. You know? <laughs> but uh, but then I had a career, you know? Right. And then it was, like, it was easier to you had get a the little momentum. Yeah. yeah. And then... Um, and you could eat. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> finally, I was able to. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and then, I mean, out of the blue, Phil and Chris emailed me the Lego script, which was just like <laughs> the crazy. It was like, I mean, they'd always, you know, like we've remained good friends over the years. And so it's not that unusual that they'd email me a script and say, hey, do you want to, you know, read this and see what you think and give some notes or whatever? Um, but that one was like, Hey, are you available to do to rewrite this because we have to go work on Twenty One Jump Street? Wow. Oh wow! They had to go off for six months and shoot that movie, yeah. and they basically needed somebody to 
address notes from the studio and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Which so it was. Oh, just, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Um, so it was an amazing opportunity, and I can't take any credit for that movie because it's mm-hmm. all 100 percent Phil and Chris. Uh, after I finished, I worked on it for about eight months, mm-hmm. and then um, they came back on it and sure. made it brilliant. And but what? It's really interesting to me that you were fielding the studio notes. Like, what kind of notes do you get on the Lego Movie? Well, it was crazy because they. Um, I don't think anybody knew what it could be yet because sure. when you hear the idea and it doesn't sound like a good idea when you first hear it right. and then when you start reading it you go, oh, this could be the best right. movie that's ever Well, but ever that's what made. those guys do. Yeah. Like, well, that's Cloudy the bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 21 right. Jump Street and Le- like Lego was just the last example of exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember when I first started reading it, I, I mean, I... I emailed them back like I was 30 pages in and I was like this is going to be the best movie ever made <laughs> <laughs> and Phil wrote back he's like yeah but unproducible right I mean he's like there's no way to make this that's awesome. um, and so my job I mean to answer your question was really yeah. I mean it was a lot of different factions had a lot of um, concerns about it it was like the studio had Warners had not been in the animation business for a long time and so they yeah. didn't quite know what it was Lego the corporation was very protective of their brand and wasn't sure they wanted to make a a, a movie because why would they? They're doing just fine without it. And so, and they also had a lot of like specific things like, can you make this character cooler so we can sell a toy of it? Hmm. Um, Because Phil and Chris had written some amazing things like, um, like the character that became Metal Beard was originally called Neckbeard, and he was just a pirate uh, that was just had a beard and no body, and he just hopped around, and it was so freaking funny. But they're like, we can't sell that as a toy. Sure, um, that's really funny. And so I want a Neckbeard toy, <laughs> right? You say it, and everybody wants it. And so it was great. But uh, and then and, and at the same time, the studio had the note where it was at the time it was before Batman was or was uh, Wild Styles. Uh, boyfriend mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. Neckbeard was the boyfriend okay. and they in the oh, studio funny. was like oh we don't know if Emmett would be intimidated enough by this boyfriend can we give him something <laughs> more and I was like so it was like oh I'll kill two birds with one stone and um, make Neckbeard into Metal Beard like the most awesome pirate ever that has a shark for an arm or whatever I don't, <laughs> I don't think I could shark for an arm I think that's Phil and Chris but I said basically he's a transformer I was like I'm going nice. to give Lego their own transformer to sell <laughs> and they're going to love it because be, they can sell accessories and they can sell this amazing toy and for the script it'll solve this other problem that mm-hmm. the studio had and there was also like Lucasfilm and all the other IPs yeah. in it had huge uh, concerns there was, it used to be a lot more Star Wars in it mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of different drafts with different Star Wars stuff um, oh, wow. trying to get approval that um, kind of feels like a fun kind of rewrite. It was though, the best it's job just I've like ever had. Trying I mean, things on. I don't. I'm, I do not mean to sound like I'm complaining. It was, no, no, it was no. an awesome, awesome opportunity, and just getting every day. I was like pinching myself that I was writing scenes with like Han Solo and a ninja and a cowboy <laughs> and um, like right, like all these crazy. It's a fun characters. sandbox to play. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. And then, um, and then, uh, and then Phil and Chris came back from mm-hmm. shooting Twenty One Jump Street and. Uh, we had a script that everybody was a little bit close, you know, was a little closer. Sure. Um, and then they took it back over and made it brilliant, and <laughs> um, and it became what it became. And it was mm-hmm. like I don't think anybody knew it would, it would become that. And then it was so that was a huge, huge it's, opportunity. It's always interesting to me, and I'm sure you've gone through this as well. That like in in the film business, there is not the same kind of ownership over a script that there is. Oh, in totally. TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that. And you knew these guys, so it's sort of a different situation that it gets handed over to you. But, like, I, I imagine you've been 
on worked on stuff where it's either you get fired and someone else takes over yeah, or no, someone totally. else gets fired and you take over. Yeah, and you don't it's so never, bizarre. you never know where you stand. I mean, th- that one was a, a specific situation where it was like I had to please a studio and a toy company and all the <laughs> IP companies and my good friends who gave me this huge opportunity right. to more than anything I was just like I want to make them laugh because um, I look up to them, you yeah. know. Uh, and and that, uh, I will say like that in many ways has to make it easier. I easier and harder. I mean, it was kind of like, harder because I, I was just like, my I audiences. I'm like, I could just address the notes that the studio wants me to address, but Phil, I don't want to be in the position where Phil and Chris are like, oh, you ruined our script. Right. You Absolutely. Know? So it was like, it was really a challenge to find yeah. things I knew would make them laugh. But they're also the like the easiest people to work for because they're so open to every idea and hope and try and see the good in every bad idea, you know? Um, but you know, I mean, yes, I've been on other projects where I've either taken over for somebody, um, and it's like not my thing. And I'm just, I mean, that's kind of what box trolls was. I mean, honestly it was, it had been in development for many years, uh, and had many different writers on it over the years and they hadn't been able to crack it really. Hmm. Um, and when I came onto it, it was sort of like, I think it was like a, it was in trouble. Like they, they had, they're like, we don't know what this movie is right now. But um, I flew up to the studio in Portland, uh, Leica, and sat with the directors for a couple of weeks. And they had a much stronger idea of what they wanted. Like they were basically going to throw out the, some of the previous drafts and start mm-hmm. over. Um, and we sort of fleshed out a new, a new take on it that basically like got rid of ninety percent of the, what the book was mm-hmm. and just focus on this little boy and his relationship with these box trolls because um, the book had all sorts of other monsters and stuff in it that they were just like we can't this will be a mm-hmm. 10 hour movie if right. we can do all this and it was it was all over the place so um, but yeah that was I felt no ownership of that project and what was kind of great and freeing about having no ownership of it is you can just pitch anything and just be like, sure. and, like and they were so good at um, just letting me pitch like five versions of every line of dialogue and just being wow. like you guys nice. choose you know, because I'm like, because the directors were very upfront about not being writer. There, there is the first studio, the first movie that the studio had made where the director was not also the writer, hmm. and um, they were like, "You are a wordsmith, and we're visual people, and we can work together, and we can make something great." And I would just be like, "Great, here's you know." They were very, um, they, they led the direction on what the story, what story they wanted to tell, and I was mm-hmm. sort of like going to make it sound pretty, you know, <laughs> yeah. and add and make it funny, you That's know. Cool. And so that was, it was kind of great because you yeah. could just kind of like pitch a bunch of stuff and then like send it off and then a month later you see the animatic and you're like, oh, that's what they chose. Right. You know, oh, they sort of combined all these different things and made it into that, you know, neat. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what, what, Mark, what has been your experience in developing stuff? You know, you're, you're, you've got this huge catalog mm-hmm. to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as an executive... Whether it's working on your own or with other writers uh, in in trying to exploit some of the uh, properties, uh, it's an interesting experience. That's, that's <laughs> one way to put it. I think the the best way to explain it is uh, is, is the reason that Clive has only written novels for the past decade. Uh, it's, sure. You know he 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 doesn't he he he's not interested in making movies by committee anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last two films he directed were were taken away from him by the studio and and uh, and mangled. So uh, you know he get he gets to stay in his writing room and create an entire world sure. and then turn it in and people read it. So it's fascinating to me that even you know he doesn't have the clout to 
make the movie he wants to make. You know? Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, like it, how much money has he made over the, the decades? And it just right. it doesn't just, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but then your job is to try to take these things out. <laughs> right. 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 And have them live in other media exactly. as a way to, you know, keep keep this company going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, to try and, uh, again, maintain that, uh, the, the signature on it, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that, that gives it the Barker essence, but also something that's, you know, palatable for, for the masses, mm-hmm. as it were. Uh, it's 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 a it's a delicate balance. So can it's, you can you talk specifically about some experiences that you've had? Um, I don't I don't I I, I can't think of anything uh, specific offhand. I uh, the most recent experience we had was actually sort of sort of like a dream. It was that it was the the Nightbreed director's cut, mm-hmm. which uh, was. It was the strangest thing I've probably ever experienced. It was it was six years of, and I just I just talked about this on uh, uh, comedy film nerds. Mm-hmm. It, it was six years of, you know, pounding pounding uh, our heads against walls, being told no 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 nobody wants this, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then eventually you know getting ten thousand signatures. Uh, Is that how you guys did it? Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. And 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 the studio going. All right, maybe someone wants it. Wow. <laughs> maybe someone will buy it. Also, so, is that all it takes is 10,000? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I feel like I could do that. I'm like, I got <laughs> Facebook friends. That exactly. we, yeah, there you <laughs> go. Jump start on it. <laughs> Let's make a director's cut of something, guys. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, so we finally, uh, you know, we got, we got the, uh, the, 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 the support behind it to prove that there was still an audience for this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even then there was there was still some resistance. Like all we had at the time were these VHS tapes that we found, oh, wow. and so they were just going to say, "Ah, we'll put those together and we'll release it." But uh, we kept we kept knocking on other doors and finally found the footage. And uh, and it was when 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 it finally came down to it, it was six years of struggling, and then they handed everything to us and said, "Okay, go make it. Give it give it back to us in a month." Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we had total freedom, but sure. but we uh, but we didn't get any sleep. It's uh, it's it's just it's the weirdest system. I don't I, I I honestly don't know how anything gets done. But you know, stuff seems to happen. Movies come out every year. It's are it's, there it's totally bananas? Are there ones that got away for for you? Like I, you were talking about how you know some of. Again, you have all these properties. Yeah, you yeah. must have chased some down. To yeah, there, there are always make or there are always uh, those that get away, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's frustrating. And I mean, especially at the time, it, uh, like right now, we're having a conversation with two different entities uh, that want to do an anthology thing with us, mm-hmm. and the question is, you know, do we pursue both? Because there's no such thing as a sure thing in sure. this industry. So, do we? Do we actively pursue both as hard as we can, hope that one of them works out, or you know, if if they both work out, then do they cancel each other out? So do we do we have to put one on the back burner? It's it's constantly doing this dance of hmm. we're not quite sure, you know, which which one to go with and and how to how to how to place them all uh, mm-hmm. on the on the chessboard, and it's. Uh, it's a little maddening at times, but uh, you know, as uh, again, as Clive would say, that's a that's a high class problem to have. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry. Were you going to say no? No. Um, I mean, it seems like in many ways your job is to kind of shepherd Clive's vision mm-hmm. or what it is to 
be a Clive Barker story right. to the screen or the comic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. What What does that mean to you? How do you distill that? Uh, it means, uh, first and foremost, when someone says, let's make it PG-13, I say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's, it's maintaining the vision. It's, 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 I mean, I think it's making something good. I think it's making something that, that at the end of the day, Clive would be proud of, that I would be proud of, uh, and that, you know, that scares people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, it's also, and, and Adam, you can speak to this too, Making a film or a TV show or like pretty much making anything but a book right, is right. Uh, compromise and yes, collaboration. Yes, hundred yes. percent. You know? So, so how do you figure out that that line to walk? That's tough. I, I mean, I've always found that the, the projects that work out the best are the ones that you do figure that out, mm-hmm. and the ones that don't are the ones that you can't figure it. Out. I mean, like I did a. Um, a rewrite, I mean, this is years ago now, but mm-hmm. on a, a direct-to-DVD um, short for a DreamWorks animation project, and it was like, I remember going in, and, um, like, the director had a very specific vision of what he wanted, but it was very different than what uh, Bill Damaschke and Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to run the studio, and it was very different from what the writer had written. <laughs> wow. And, and it was different from what the producer wanted, yeah. and it was like... Everybody just thought it was a different thing, and it was. This was like a twenty-minute short. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like it was um, a full movie, but it's it was ridiculous. like um, the the thing that we had to do was just put everybody in a room together and let's figure this out. And, and well, I mean, I had sort of like said I, I had sort of heard everybody out, and then sort of came up with what I thought it could be mm-hmm. that would, hmm. but it wasn't necessarily what would please everybody. It would just sort of be the thing that most people could agree on kind of and right. what I what I kind of learned was I could pitch that and then if Jeffrey gave his thumbs up everybody in the room was like great that's what we're doing okay <laughs> yeah. that sounds good And the, but I mean like honestly it was right. still then the next day there'd be the same issues like people were pushing a little bit further for their sure. thing but it was like you know I think the projects that work the best are the ones that um, people are it's, it is collaborative it is a collaborative industry and the, the one where the people in charge whether it be the directors or uh, the head of the studio or whoever it is the producer um, sort of listen as much as they talk you mm-hmm. know and like they they're open to hearing right. ideas and that's what's so good about like Phil and Chris for example is that they they will hear every idea whether it's from the PA or from their head of story or from mm-hmm. you know like they just want a good idea yeah. you know and um and uh, and I've been to other places where it's like there are people that you know like yeah. they, they have very strong visions of, and it doesn't necessarily mesh with everybody's and it doesn't always come out great you know so um, yeah it's just it's the constant I, I, I feel like the, the one of the reasons I love animation as opposed to other forms of um, you know other genres like mm-hmm. live action anything in live action is in animation you have not just a writer and a director, but you have an entire storyboard team and a head of story and you all get to work together and sort of like figure it out. And if you come in with a really strong vision yourself and you don't all feel it, it's not going to come out. But like when you come up with that idea together in the room yeah. that everybody is like, yeah, this is great. And then it's, it's better than what any one person could sure. come up Everyone's with. Everyone's invested in it too. Exactly. It process it yeah. Better. And it's just, the, it's sort of a little bit like being on a TV staff, you know, like yeah. a comedy staff where you have, you're creating it in the room together, you know, sure. unlike a drama staff where everybody's sort of off doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
has a little bit of that, but even more so. You know, sure. different departments working together. Yeah, that's been a really interesting thing, just personally that I've seen. Like, mm-hmm. I this is my first animated thing mm-hmm. that I'm working on, and seeing what the animators bring to it, and yeah. you know, seeing what the a director brings to it, which is different from what a voice director brings to it. Yeah, all. it's really it's it's cool. And uh, depending on your showrunner, I mean, you have Doug, so he's great, but it's yeah. like some showrunners would be like, oh, I can't believe the board artist tried to add this thing, right. you know? <laughs> Whereas others would be like, awesome, they added something, right. you, know, you know? It's crazy, because you think you go into animation because you can do anything, and all the the articles talk about how, oh, animation's great because there's no limits, and like, no, there's just as many limits. Yeah, because, there are more limits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh, working at Leica, stop motion studio, where it takes, you yeah. know, so long to to move the puppet so <laughs> there's no i mean like and you have to if you have a new set they have to physically build that set if you have a new character they have to build many versions of yeah. this puppet for that character and each one costs a ton of money, ten thousand dollars or whatever it is and right. it's like no i mean like it's just like live action where it's like it's physical things it's like it's all the the worst parts of of live action <laughs> and animation right. you know put together but, but uh, man it looks great it looks awesome <laughs> yeah yeah but does that Knowing that or even encountering that, does that change the script? Does that change oh, totally. what you can do? Oh, absolutely. Or I mean, there are huge, um, I mean, limitations. But, I mean, limitations are always opportunities as well. And mm-hmm. um, you use, you know, like, I mean, there was points in the script where they're just like, we have to cut out characters. So let's mm-hmm. go through and find characters to cut. And then there's other moments where they're like, oh, we have this nice small um, dinner table scene. Let's turn it into a ballroom dance that's going to take six months for somebody to animate. And you're like... <laughs> Why did we do that? But then we had to cut right. out this like one line character. I mean, like in some choices, you're like, I don't understand. Um, I mean, it's obviously the directors have a vision, and you're, yeah. you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like it's funny because it's um, you know it's run by Travis Knight, who is um, you know a gazillionaire. I mean, he's like he's um, the son of of Phil Knight, who founded Nike, and he's brilliant. He's a he's an animator himself, mm-hmm. so. Um, but it's his it's his playground, so he can make these choices. But so he he has, on one hand, unlimited money. But obviously, you can't spend unlimited money right. because you're not bringing like right. you, you want these movies to at least break even because <laughs> so you can keep making them. Right. You know, so it's a really weird um, place to 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 work in, yeah. in that sense. But um, you know, and you just answer to him. I mean, like he's it's not. I mean, imagine at DreamWorks like if you just had direct contact with with jeffrey all the time right. i mean like that's what it is it's like at the end of the yeah, day that's strange. it's and and if jeffrey was animating the thing that you wrote you know <laughs> that would be amazing i mean that's what's so awesome about travis yeah, is that really he cool. is an artist and he's also the head of the company and he's also the money so he's like it's wow it's a it's a really unique situation um that he doesn't need you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, he absolutely does not need me. He does not need anybody. He could do it all himself if he had the time, you know. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, it's really, really crazy. Um, but that's also what makes their movies so sort of unique and individual. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, they they are the things that he finds fascinating mm-hmm. that he wants to explore, which yeah. is kind of awesome. Because it's like, it's unlike any other studio which has to, you know, like focus right. test and has to make things right, that, are, right. that appeal to masses. And he's right. like, no, this is what appeals to me. That's really cool. Yeah, so. Nice. Um, I want to talk about comic books for a moment. Um, Let's. You are, how many books are you scripting right now for Boom? Uh, 
two right now. Okay. Two right now and one um, for Dark Horse. And what are you doing for Dark Horse? I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> you tell me. I don't now, know. I don't know when we're it? announcing. Uh, okay. We were we were talking about announcing it at New York Comic Con this year, but uh, I I honestly don't know when they're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, uh, I I can tell you I'm excited <laughs> while we're um, sitting here. So so let me ask you. Uh, these these are your first comics writing, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, doing these things for Boom. Yeah yeah. I started with I started by editing uh, Hellraiser. Like I think that was 2011, 2012, okay. and uh, and then we we were Sans writer suddenly, and <laughs> I'd been editing. So they just said, hey hey, you know, uh, would you fill in till we find a new writer? And then I guess I, I did a decent job, so they kept me on. And you had stories to tell in these worlds. I had stories to tell in these worlds, um, and uh, <laughs> the, the the best part was when uh, when they said, "Okay, it's going to be up to issue twelve is what you'll be writing." And I said, "Okay," so I so I wrote an arc up to twelve, and they said, "Actually, let's go to 16. <laughs> so then I had to expand That's to awesome. sixteen, and I and I and, and I was I was tapped at that point. <laughs> And they said, "Okay, uh, twenty, and that's it. We promise." So again, more you know, stretching for time. It was. Uh, it oh was, wow! Yeah, it was. It was my trial by fire, uh, <laughs> to be sure. Um, and uh, what is that like? A script a month? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that okay. would be a script a month uh, for Hellraiser. Uh-huh. And and, uh, and how do you script? What is your method? I I I, I really just uh, I, I kind of see it all in my head, and I mean Clive. It's great working with Clive because he's he's a great architect, mm-hmm. and and he'll come in and he'll say, "This is what I want to see," and it's you know it's all these incredible puzzle pieces to play with, and I just I just sort of set them set them down mm-hmm. and and go with it, uh, but I I don't I don't do much outlining. Mm-hmm. I just um, wow. I, yeah I kind of I kind of just I, I see it, and I'll just sit down and start writing, and I know that's that's kind of the Stephen King method and the and the Eli Roth method. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, and it, it works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with uh, obviously with with adaptation, uh, it's different because sure. you know there is there there are these parameters. There's a story for me to be yeah. But uh, for the most part, uh, I'll just I'll just I'll get an idea and just go with that hmm. and since and find out where it takes me. Interesting. Yeah. And can you talk uh, at all about collaborating with the artists? Uh, yeah, with with Boom, it's a, it's a unique situation uh, in that they they outsource all of their artists, mm-hmm. so uh, the the writers and the artists have no interaction yeah. whatsoever, which is not unusual. These is days. it not? That, I is mean, that... often t- having worked for okay. Marvel and, and other people, like we've worked with artists that we've never met. We've okay. worked with artists who we only go through the editor. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Oftentimes they're in Spain or okay. South America or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're all over the place. The, uh, I think. It was uh, Hamy Jang was who we worked with on mm-hmm. Next Testament, and she's in Korea. Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, yeah, still to this day have not have not had. Do, any you, do you run into her. a language barrier? Because uh, so, <laughs> like I'm, I'm presuming <laughs> that's a good question. In English. Sometimes <laughs> have you have you run into language barriers? Oh, for from sure. Time to time? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and and they were not like it was easy stuff. To yeah, yeah. Because you know, again, everybody's on email. It's, mm-hmm. it's sure. all very easy. These days, but, but yeah, I've we did found hear stories about it going awry. <laughs> right. Wow. I've I found that um, metaphors don't don't translate well. Yeah. It's very important to be uh, very uh, uh, deliberate uh, mm-hmm. with your with your the words that you choose. Mm-hmm. 
and to also include lots of visual references. So oh, really? I, yeah, I, I have uh, all my every script I've written now has like uh, its own Dropbox issue, and nice. it, and I'll just uh, e- you know this will be uh, Hellraiser Bestiary issue five, and I'll have this folder full of images that I just link to. Hmm. And uh, uh, on, a, on a, a particularly humorous one with um, with Next Testament was one of the characters grabs uh, he he he's for all intents and purposes he's God and he grabs uh, for the ether and and speaks into it and it goes across the world like a, like a loudspeaker and, uh, and and I and and that's what I said you know and he and he and he reaches into this ether uh, and talks into it like a microphone. So she drew a microphone. Right. Like, (laughs) there's no reason, yeah, he would actually be talking into a microphone right now. But so. So Maybe they just don't know the word like. Maybe. (laughs) Like, they're just not familiar with. Maybe similes similes. don't, you know, they don't translate. Well, Uh, listen, artists do a lot of skimming when they read. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) To be fair. All right. But yeah, there there are definitely uh, uh, translation barriers from Mm -hmm. time to time. But right now, with the the one that I'm I'm writing for Dark Horse, uh, I'm, I'm. Talking directly with our artist, and uh, and that's that's been a lot of fun because I can I can go in and uh, you know and he can come to me and say, well, this doesn't make you know much sense to me, mm-hmm. and, or I had this idea, yeah. what if we put this here? And it's been a very it's been incredibly collaborative, nice. and I think the comic's going to be uh, that much better for it. Do you know when that comic is due out? I believe we're our first issue set to come out next October. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, how how long does it take you to turn around a script? Not that long, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, with with the running of the company and the, and the trying to do the other things as well, right. uh, it'll generally take about two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I feel oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like if I didn't have anything else to do, if I was, if I was an hour, yeah, solely. <laughs> may, who, who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe I could do it in a, in a couple of days. I, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to find out someday. But. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fired soon. Right. That's, I mean, that's what I'm looking forward yeah. to, you know, is <laughs> whatever you guys can do, spread the word that I'm a bad guy. <laughs> Listen, you're doing it yourself. Um, what are you working on right now, Adam? I'm working on a couple things. Uh, I have another project for Leica that mm-hmm. is it's nice. an original idea that... Um, that I pitched them. That I don't think I can say what it is yet, but sure. I, it's a it's a musical, um, which I've been really excited about writing. Um, and I'm working with a band who's awesome. Wow, and that's cool. We have like 12 demos for the songs, and uh, it was really really fun when I uh, pitched it to them. We flew up there with the band, and like you know, in the uh, the conference room, just like played them three songs. It that, sounds like you make really hilarious. good pitches. That one was cool. Conference um, room filled with toys. Yeah, those have been the bands. two most elaborate pitches I've ever done. Which maybe those are the ones that sold. I should. I just need to do. Exactly. I think you're onto something. More yeah. work into the pitch. Yeah, exactly. Huh? I'm phoning it in. For Forget the ones. script, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, all about the pitch. That's really cool. Though. Yeah, so that, that one. A lot of fun. That one I'm really excited about. But and you're kind of getting to see this one all the way through, as hopefully. far as you know. I mean, we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's been nice to be there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just sort of get to create the world myself and, cool. and uh, sort of, you know. So we'll see what happens with that. And then I'm working on a, um, a Lego movie sequel, which yeah. is awesome. Um, everything is awesome. Yeah, everything is awesome <laughs> in that universe. I mean, they cannot get enough Lego movie. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, like literally the night the movie came out, Phil and Chris had a party and they were like, Start thinking of ideas for sequels because this is going to be a yeah. hit. And uh, so it's not Lego Two. I got to work on Lego Two for um, 
for a couple of weeks just mm-hmm. helping um, like come up with story areas. Did they do like a, a round table? They situation? did like a one day round table. Okay. Um, like that was really cool. It was in like Malibu at this great house. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, that, That's but, feature money. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> uh, but then it was sort of like uh, Phil and Chris. Once Phil and Chris agreed to write it, um, they were taking a much needed vacation, and so while they were both off in I think Italy, um, me and Chris McKay, who's uh, mm-hmm. the, at the time was going to direct Lego Two, now he's going to direct Lego Batman first. Um, was uh, so we we sort of huddled just the two of us for, uh, you know, a little bit and, like, came up with a bunch of ideas. So when Phil and Chris came back, they'd have um, sort of some starting ideas if they wanted to use them, Um, which just just to get a jump start, um, just because they could use me and I'm cheap, you know, why not? (laughs) Um, So the the Lego sequel I'm working on would be far after Lego 2 and after Lego Batman and after, (laughs) like, Ninjago. Like, it's a... uh, It would be, like, 2020, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Lego 17. I mean, I don't know. Um... So right now it's just a treatment. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll see if anything happens with that. But they're also like I'm sort of in this kind of fun position of like just any sort of scraps that <laughs> Phil and Chris don't want to write, like the sloppy <laughs> seconds they asked me to do. So um, like they wanted a ride for Legoland, like a sort of like a Honey I Shrunk the Audience, uh-huh. Captain EO, 4D adventure yep, uh, with awesome. the Lego movie characters and so I got to write that like so I wrote that last week that's really cool uh, which was so fun because I'm like oh we have all these like 4D gimmicks to you like where can we use you know wind where can we use banana smell like what were you given to work with (laughs) they gave me like a a, um, and then what was your job they gave me a uh, spreadsheet of the 4D gimmicks that uh-huh. Legoland has. But the, every Legoland, is, there's, apparently there's nine Legolands around the mm-hmm. world, which I did not know. Uh, and know each, each one has a theater that has different things in it. Oh, wow. Which was a little bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, the g- same general ones. Like, right. they all have, like, 3D. They all have wind and, um, like, water spraying mm-hmm. like some of them have leg ticklers and others don't and like i mean these like random things that you're like okay um but they basically like you know it's they're like we have 10 to 12 minutes and we want to tell a story and mm-hmm. let's do it the lego movie way just sort of kind of satirize mm-hmm. the experience and make it nice. charactery and um and is so, it using the lego movie character yes okay. the, all the non-ip ones right. like, we, we right. can't use that which is uh, like those are awesome characters. No, they're it's amazing. Yeah, it's so yeah. fun. Um, so, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like they go, they, it's like Emmett and Wild Style and Benny the Spaceman, all of them going <laughs> nice. to a theme park that, like, awesome. to, to see the 4D movie that is based on the documentary <laughs> that they were in. <laughs> right. That's great. <laughs> like, so, it, and then it all goes horribly wrong. Oh so it's God. like, it's super it's meta and so folds in fun. on itself. But it was like, I, I basically like, cranked it out in a week and it was like such a nice palate cleanser yeah. after like I had just turned in a draft uh, of the musical the week before which I had like 12 weeks to um, right. to do this rewrite and then it was um, like just being intensely working on that for so long just to have like this was like wasabi where it's like right. oh, a little palate cleanser <laughs> between projects just get to yeah. write these characters so that was really fun uh, yeah, and then just I have a couple other uh, things that are very early on in development that mm-hmm. not worth talking about. Are yet, they but, these things you pitched or you pitched on? Uh, one of them is an original thing that I pitched, mm-hmm. and another one is a adaptation of a property. So, nice. Yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and we'll end as we always do uh, by asking you: What are you watching uh, on TV? What movies are you seeing? What books are you reading that's getting you excited or inspired? 
Uh, and uh, Mark, we'll start with you. Great question. Totally out of left field. Uh, what am I watching right now? South Park, always. Yes. Uh, one of the best shows on television. Uh, and it has been for the past 18 years. Those guys, I mean, they've been doing it for so long. They're, they're amazing. They're my comedy gods. They're, <laughs> they're, they're unbelievable. And then between all that, they just happen to write amazing movies. Sure, you Broadway know, shows. smash Broadway shows. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, and I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up on Sons of Anarchy, and I'm, I'm waiting for the finale, and I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, it's it's a phenomenal show. What uh, what is going on in horror movies? Right horror now? movies. What, have you seen anything that is great? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I recommend Nightbreed, the director's cut. Of mm-hmm. course, sure. uh, I think that's pretty great. I've seen some of the studio fare that's out right now, and it's it's really not good. And they might hire you someday. Don't say that. I'm, I haven't I've na- named well, anything. I have to make it better. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Exactly. That's what I'm letting you're you know. You're so I'm, smart. Write this. That's uh, how it happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I challenge people, and then they 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 rise to the to the task. Um, I I I'm, I really again. It's I think I think it's in uh, independent horror cinemas where it's at. I mm-hmm. just watched this uh, this film called Proxy uh, by these these guys uh, Zach Parker and. Um, uh, and Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Donner, I believe. I'm gonna get it wrong. We'll take your word. <laughs> Which is great because I'm talking with uh, with Kevin directly. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the movie was awesome. Uh, it was it's this it's this brutal story about uh, this this woman that gets a this pregnant woman that gets attacked in an alley, loses her baby, and then like all these twists like end up happening. And it's it's not the movie that you think it's gonna be when it starts out with, but. I think that's where you know we're able to satirize things the most. Uh, I, I'm, it, I think good horror is is at its at its best is satirical. Uh, so I recommend you know the the indie stuff out there like like it's, this this movie was called Proxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this movie out called uh, Resolution, which was probably the last movie that genuinely gave me the creeps. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, and of, of course uh, you know those human centipede movies. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, that's, that's why we're going to you second. Yes. <laughs> so we're not left with that. Right. As, uh, speaking of palate cleansers. Yeah, mostly just human centipede movies. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, TV-wise, I love anything that like plays with form. I mean, it's like I think like a lot of comedy writers, like you get bored with the same um, sitcoms and stuff. So I love like comedy Bang Bang. The TV yeah. show is amazing. It's incredible. And Rick and Morty, it's obviously. So bananas. Like, and uh, even like. Um, like uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, anything, mm-hmm. the shows like that that just take the form yeah. and just like turn it on its head, and or every week you don't know what you're getting into. Right. Gives I, you something unexpected. Yeah, yeah, I just like I just want to be surprised when I watch television. Yeah, which I love. for sure. And then movie wise, I mean, like I, honestly, you got to say this has been such a great year for animated movies. I mean, that's sort of my my love, you mm-hmm. know. But like, I mean, I thought, I mean, it, uh, you know. Um, how to Train Your Dragon Two was amazing. My wife worked on it, the, both those movies. So um, I have to say that, but I also <laughs> genuinely mean it. I think they're both amazing. I really liked Book of Life. I, lo- I mean, Lego. Phil and Chris did such an amazing job. I mean, there's been so many. Big Hero Six was great. Like I'm like, man, it's such a good freaking year. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, this is um, like they just did the um, Andy nominations, which are mm-hmm. like the Oscars for animation, and. Um, 
I was really proud that Boss Rules got nominated yes. for a bunch of stuff, but I'm like, man, there's so much good stuff to choose from. Like, I don't know what I would choose, you know, like, um, so yeah, it was a particularly good year. good year for it. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, I've loved that. And then, you know, all the, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's award season, so it's like all the normal stuff, like, you know, it's like, I love Birdman and Nightcrawler and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, like, so, yeah. What's stuff. anyone listening to? Listening to? We never asked. Oh that. my god! I'm sorry. Just just this podcast, of course. Yeah, yeah. Nerdist Writers Panel, guys, and, and Serial, right? Everybody. Oh my has god! To listen to Serial. I listen to Serial, and I listen to like the Serial parodies, and <laughs> I read the Reddit blog on Serial. Like it's, I'm just like, but you're one of those. I'm ready to solve this case. I, no, I'm not, but I'm I'm ready for somebody to solve this case because right. I'm like, I need closure, and right. that's what I'm worried. We're not going to get closure, you guys. We should just. Acknowledge it's not going to happen. This has been another episode of the Serial Podcast. Right. Join us here next week. Yeah. Brought to you by MailChimp. Uh, <laughs> nice. Very nice. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ben. Now leaving Nerdist.com.